This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. Romans chapter 14. This is a place that lots of people get really turned around. And in order to understand what's going on, you got to go back and review why the letter's being written. And we said early on, if you, if you buy my assertion, that Paul is writing this letter into a mixed synagogue, and you've got four kinds of people in the synagogue. You've got what we would call Christians, which are former Gentiles who have been born again, got the Holy Spirit, and are in the synagogue because that's where the books are. You've got Jews, plain old standard, garden variety, <coughs> Orthodox Jew, I don't know what Orthodox or you know, what strain of Jews, but what we would call today just plain Jews. Then you've got Messianic Jews, which are Jews who have accepted Yeshua as Messiah. Paul is an example of a Messianic Jew. And then finally, you've got what are called God-fearers. And they aren't Christians, they aren't Jews, uh, probably not proselytes yet. And they are just in there listening to the scriptures being read. And as we've gone through the letter, one of the things that Paul has been talking about is he talks to these two factions, primarily the two factions he talks to are the Gentiles on one side and the non-Messianic Jews on the other side. Those are the two that he sort of uh, wails on during the letter. And basically the message is you guys need to get along. And you need not to be having strife in the synagogue. And I think one of the reasons that Paul wants no strife in the synagogue, other than he doesn't want strife, and that's a good thing. But he's planning to come to the synagogue on a future trip, and he says that at the end of the letter. And he doesn't want the atmosphere in the synagogue polluted so that his message of the gospel gets rejected out of hand. In other words, one of the things he doesn't want to have happen is that the Gentile Christians so annoy the traditional Jews, that when he comes into the synagogue, they'll say, oh, you're one of those Christians, we don't need to listen to you. Which is what happens when a missionary Christian goes into a synagogue today. Uh, they put up their armor and, and they don't even really listen because they've got you pigeonholed. All right. Now, so all right, now with that background, and just by reminder, we've done all this before. I'm in chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may, may eat anything, 
while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. All right, so this is the subject, right? Got the strong and the weak, and the subject is food. A lot of the Sunday church will take this to mean that the dietary rules as given in the Torah no longer apply. And in fact, only the weak still cling to the dietary restrictions. Vegetarians. Well, but, but where, where it goes is the, the weak are the ones who follow Jewish dietary restrictions. And when it says veg, vegetables here, one of the things that Orthodox or believing Jews will not do is eat any kind of meat in the house of a Gentile. Nor will they drink wine. So even if you bring in cow, which is halakhically clean, or not halakhically clean, but clean according to Torah, they will not eat it because they don't know that it has been handled and slaughtered in accordance with the dietary laws. So if you invite an Orthodox Jew into your home, the only thing he's going to eat there is salad, okay, or vegetables. So this, this is very much in, in line with the way the Jews believe today. I can remember when we took lamb up to um, Shavuot in Loveland. And remember we slaughtered the lamb in the morning, you know, cut its throat, bled it, and you know, handled it in an appropriate manner. And there was an Orthodox Jew up there that was speaking. Wouldn't eat it and brought with him a sandwich from the each side kosher deli, and that's what he had for lunch. So even though in a biblical sense we had done everything proper, and the animal was a clean animal that had been killed properly and been handled properly and so forth, he wouldn't eat it. Very polite. Uh, oh, no, thank you very much. I have a sandwich here. That's fine. I mean, it wasn't, no, I'm not going to eat your lamb, but it was, he wasn't, and he covered that very graciously. All right, so anyway, we're talking about food here, and we're talking about weak and strong. And again, most of the Sunday church regards weak as those silly Jews who are still under the law and don't realize that they can eat just anything they want now. Pork chops, shrimp cocktail, lobster tails, anything you want is now okay. Okay, that, that's what the Sunday church gets from this. All right. In order to understand what's going on here, you need to go to 1 Corinthians. And I'm in 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possesses knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Yeshua Messiah, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, 
through former association with idols, eat food as right, really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Okay? So here we have, again, the weak and the strong. And what he's doing is he's making the same argument here in 1 Corinthians 8 as he is making in Romans 14. But here the context is clearer. It's food offered to idols. And what, and, and again, the historical problem, and, I, and I'm sure everybody knows this, is basically in, in that time, that part of the world, virtually all meat that was slaughtered was offered to something. Okay? So you had butcher shops associated with pagan temples. And you go into the butcher shop and you get yourself a slab of cow. And very often I imagine the proprietor of the butcher shop would say, this was just offered to whoever this morning. So it's fresh. Okay? So it's very, very hard to get meat that has not been offered to an idol unless you go to a Jewish butcher shop. Okay? And so you got these Gentiles that have come into the church, and they have asked Paul, well, what do we do with this? And Paul is telling them, and he will tell them in other places, that an idol has no real existence. And since it's being offered to something that doesn't exist, no big deal. But he's also saying, however, there are people that you're going to associate with to whom this is a big deal. Okay, that's what their conscience being weak is, is talked about. Their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that the rights of your does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Messiah died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Messiah. Therefore, if food makes your brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. All right, now, it, it, first off, notice again, there is no intimation in here that you talk your brother out of it. Okay? He does not say, boy, that's really stupid. This is how you need to explain it to him. doesn't say that. What he says is, accommodate them. Okay? Exactly the same thing he's saying in Romans. And he's using the same terminology, weak and strong that he's using in Romans. But in Corinthians, the context is crystal clear. It's meat offered to idols. Now, one of the things to grasp really firmly is he is not talking about eating pigs, shrimp cocktail, wild boar, horse flesh, any of the other things that you may find in a butcher store. That's not what's being talked about. The problem is it's being offered to an idol. The problem is not that it comes from an unclean animal. Understand what I'm saying? 
So if you were to go into a temple butcher shop and you were to get yourself a haunch of sheep that had been sacrificed to an idol, from God's perspective you could eat it because it is from a clean animal. And the fact that it's been procured from a temple butcher shop, as Paul says, you know it's not a god. God knows it's not a god. I know it's not a god. So there's nothing wrong with the meat. Go ahead and eat it. However, if your brother sees you going in to a temple butcher shop and your brother thinks through past association that stuff offered to idols is unclean, then don't do it lest you cause your brother to stumble. Notice it does not say explain to your brother why it's okay to eat this. It says don't do it. You had something? Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And that, that's Luther's trap, by the way, what I talked about earlier. You, know, you, you read this, and then the next thing they do is turn right around and try and talk them out of it. And as I say, there's, there's two things here. One is that there is, there is a positive command by Paul, do not argue with them. And the second thing is we are not talking about biblically unclean flesh here. The problem is, where did the meat come from? The problem isn't, gee, that ham hanging in the butcher shop looks really good. Paul is not saying it's okay to eat ham. What he's saying is it's okay to eat sheep or beef or buffalo or any of those kinds of things, even if it may have been sacrificed to an idol. One of the assertions I have made all the way through this study in Romans is Paul is in no way going against anything in Scripture. Paul does not regard himself as having the authority to rewrite anything in Scripture. So the prohibition against eating pigs and shellfish and all that kind of stuff is written by God in the Torah. It is not a regulation made by men. Paul's not saying anything about that. What Paul is talking about are regulations made by men, which is the rabbis, that says you got to make sure you know where the meat came from. you got to make sure that it was slaughtered in a halakhically correct way. And you've got to make sure that it was handled in a halakhically correct way. Otherwise, you can't eat it. And Paul is saying those regulations, the regulations made by men, are not binding. He is not making the argument that the regulations made by God are not binding. Two very different things. So it's real important that you understand this, that nowhere in either Corinthians or Romans does Paul advocate pork chops. Yeah? So it it seems like the the commandments of men, Paul says, don't argue with them. Right. But the commandments of God were supposed to correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Good, good analysis. Comment was that Paul is saying that if you're dealing with the commandments of men, don't argue with them. But if you're dealing with the commandments of God and you're in violation there, then you contend for the word of God. I, I would say that's correct. The problem with most of the Sunday church is they are not contending for the word of God. They are contending for the traditions of men under the cover of the word of God. 
So they will take you to either one of these passages, uh, Romans 14 or Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8, and they will preach to you that anything you want to eat is now fine. And what was the other one? That Christ made all things clean. That, that's back in the Gospels. Uh, none of that in any way abrogates the written word of God which says these are the animals that are safe to eat. Okay? And I use safe correctly. And what I mean there is spiritually safe, not safe from a health perspective. And, and one of the things that's really important is the reason we're in the mess we got in, we're in now is because somebody ate something she wasn't supposed to. That's what started all this off. So God very much cares about what you eat. He has all, very much cared about what you eat from the time of your creation until right now. And he has gone to great lengths to tell you what things are spiritually safe for you to eat. And nothing in the scriptures anywhere contradicts that. And especially not Paul. 